Hello, Andrew Day. What's up, Bob? How you doing? Uh, you know, could be worse, could be worse. Let me introduce us. I'm Robert Wright. This is the Non-Zero Podcast. You're Andrew Day. And together we put out the uh, Friday issue of the Non-Zero Newsletter called The Earthling. With, with the able assistance of Clark McGillis, our graphics czar, C-Z-A-R, title he demanded <laughs> in really arduous uh, negotiations that, that finally, you know, brought him to our staff. Um, and uh, this is Earthling Unplugged, right? But there's something different about this week's Earthling Unplugged, Andrew. There is. We haven't actually written the Earthling yet. Right. Not all the way. <laughs> Not all the way. See, normally we tape this on Friday after we've just finished the Earthling. It's about to go out. We tape this. Now we're just heading into that dark 24-hour period where the pressure's on. We may crack under the pressure and there won't be an Earthling. Who knows? Anything could happen. Right. And and so there's a lot of drama right now and we're feeling it. But there's another problem. You know what that is? I don't. There's. Okay. I don't know the other problem. I'm here to help you understand what the problem is. The problem is... See, normally there's this festive air because we have finished the newsletter. Right. And we talk about the newsletter and, and I mean, I think it's kind of interesting that this time we're talking about a newsletter in formation, right? And, and who mm -hmm. knows? The newsletter may not look exactly like what we talked about. Who knows? It's we're, we're working well on that here, but that part's kind of interesting. What's, what's, troublesome is that i'm gonna have trouble like maintaining this festive air it mm -hmm. normally comes naturally right. i've got a solution do you know what the solution is i don't know that either when no. bob needs a pick me up what do we do drink no bob doesn't drink <laughs> no we talk about the jfk assassination oh great yeah so maybe later in this podcast if you mm -hmm. will indulge me right we could For sure this is a recently acquired hobby of mine, spending time in JFK assassination rabbit hole. Endlessly fascinating. World's greatest rabbit hole. I don't even understand how the other rabbit holes think they're in the running. Whatever they, whatever. This is and the, the best one. The commenters want more, so they won't be disappointed. Some commenters said some they would like, at least one commenter said they would like to hear more about the JFK assassination. I think I saw two. I yeah. have good news for both of them. <laughs> it's coming. But first, we should say a few words about the Earthling, the Friday issue of the Non-Zero Newsletter. What do we got for the folks this week, Andrew? Well, one question I have is, do we know what the lead item is we at this not. stage? That's what I mean. This is, this is, it's in flux. There's drama. We don't know. Because, mm -hmm. you know, the last, well, a number of the recent issues have been about uh, Gaza or its kind of side effects like the Red Sea thing with the Houthis. And it's not like that whole thing is getting any less consequential. If anything, it's getting more worrisome. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, it almost feels like we've said the main things one could say. I mean, uh, you know, it's like uh, Biden seems frustratingly uh, unwilling or unable to influence uh israel's behavior meaningfully mm -hmm. uh he stumbled into this stupid war with the houthis that's not going to solve the problem and is probably going to make things worse we've explored the roots of the of the houthi problem in last week's issue 
Mm-hmm. Which I thought uh, was useful. Uh, we we've explored the root, roots of of the Hamas of you know how Hamas kind of became what it is. I, I you know we provide some good historical background. We we've said a lot of stuff, um, and th- and so I don't know. It's not like the lead has to make some original point or anything. Doesn't have to make an original contribution to the discourse, uh, and. Truth be told, it's hard to make an original contribution in any discourse these days. But uh, so I don't know. We might lead with this just a number of little developments on the AI front. What do you think? What 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 are you voting for? Um, AI sounds good. There was definitely some interesting articles about AI and election misinformation related stuff. And we also have some Gaza war and more broadly Middle East updates this week that kind of continue some of the themes you just named including the Biden administration's unwillingness to use its leverage to influence Israeli behavior. Um, so we can start talking about that, too, if you want. Sure. I mean, you know, right before we started recording, I saw a couple of uh, things in the news that suggest that the Biden administration at least is starting to get a sense for the urgency of, like, winding this thing down. Right. Um, they are this i guess they're sending bill burns i didn't even have a time to time to really read this washington post piece but bill burns head of the cia the person who many who many of us think should be the secretary of state uh is is being dispatched on another mission right to try to um uh well let me read a pair i do have a paragraph in the piece which i actually find a little uh puzzling it is let's see um oh damn it and i and i thought i had set this up so wonderfully um it's um okay president biden here plans to dispatch this is a lead paragraph from the washington post president biden plans to dispatch cia director william j burns in the coming days to help broker an ambitious deal between hamas and israel that would involve and this is what i don't understand that would involve the release of all remaining hostages held in gaza and the longest cessation of hostilities since the war began last year. Now, wait, if they want all the hostages released, I think they're going to have to do more than the longest cessation. I just don't see Mm. uh, Hamas releasing all the hostages until you've got some kind of firm deal that ends the war without the leaders of Hamas getting killed, right? Mm -hmm. So. I, I don't quite understand that wording. I hope it doesn't signify, though it could, that the Biden administration has a deeply unrealistic idea, uh, you know, about what what the other side will accept. Um, well, so what I, sort of what sort of thing would goad the you know goad Hamas into releasing all of the hostages? Well, I I, I think, um, I, I mean. There has to be a complete on paper ending of the hostilities, I think, because because they don't want to begin the hostilities again with no the hostages are what make it so hard. Mm -hmm. It's the hostages are one of the things that make it so hard for Israel to do what it says it wants to do, quote, eliminate Hamas. Mm -hmm. It can't just go through and kill everybody in Hamas so long as the hostages are there. I assume that the leadership of, of Hamas has got some hostages nearby. Right. And. Uh, as a last gasp, uh, you know, um, security blanket. Mm-hmm. To, uh, and um, 
I mean, it's kind of a, an overly uh, fluffy way to describe a situation when you're planning on making sure these civilians get killed. If you get, if you're about to get killed, but I got to assume that's what's going on. And I just don't understand why they would let go of all of that leverage without a guarantee that the threat of them getting killed is ending. Right. Mm-hmm. Now it could be, uh, you, you could negotiate something that looks kind of like a loss for them. Like they have to get exiled out of Gaza conceivably if they really feel they have a weak hand, but, um, you know, I, I, I don't, the wording is slightly puzzling, but on the other hand, you know, this is one of those reports that's like, according to officials familiar with the matter. Um, so they may have heard a couple of different things from a couple of different officials. I don't know if this is an intentional leak by the administration or they had to kind of glean the story from discussions with officials or what. Right. Well, it, it is an uptick as previous reporting on possible ceasefire was mentioning some sort of like sequence where the elderly hostages would be released first and then women of a certain age and then men of a certain age and then male soldiers finally. Um, and I think I assume each of those things was going to be accompanied by some new you know, compromise position by Israel, like releasing Palestinian prisoners or something. And I think that could be part of this. I just think Hamas, you know, again, uh, what I would imagine is that they would have an agreement on the first couple of segments of the deal. Okay, we release X, Israel does Y. We do this, Israel does this. And at that point, there's some significant number of hostages left and they say, and 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 hostilities remain ceased while we try to negotiate a final deal. That's the kind of thing I would imagine. And then if it all falls apart, Hamas is thinking, well, we've still got some hostages. Right. And what about the other side of the equation, Israel's willingness to have a long-term ceasefire? Do you think any of this, or maybe do you think Biden's administration leaking um, that Burns is going to go over there and try to do this might be motivated by the... ICJ releasing this preliminary ruling tomorrow about the South Africa genocide case. Well, the, t- the timing is interesting. I'm not, uh, it's not clear to me how this announcement might have a big impact on that. Um, so yeah, the, 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 uh, international court of justice is going to, they're not, they're not going to decide whether there has been genocide or is ongoing genocide or anything. It's a preliminary ruling that, as I understand it, will kind of either implicitly or explicitly say whether the court thinks the charges are at least plausible. So if if they allow, uh, I mean, they could just throw it out, which will mean they think it's implausible. But if 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 the adjudicatory process is allowed to proceed, that'll mean they think there's at least some plausible merit to the charges. I don't know how explicitly they're going to say that. They may also order that things be done, I gather. The court may say Israel should do X, Y, and Z, or there should be, I don't, I don't know what, what is the range of things. There should be negotiations, but. I think it, uh, those those things were specified by South Africa, I believe. So yeah, tomorrow it's like the the court is going to possibly release like the equivalent of a restraining order or like a temporary injunction, but without policing power. But the the specific things that, they would be asking Israel to do um, are, are specified, you know, by South Africa's case. And I think it's things ranging from 
stopping hostilities altogether or taking extra steps to let aid get to Gaza, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and I think like Israel hasn't helped its case by uh, w with all this recent publicity about the fact that they're establishing a buffer zone yeah. within Gaza. Uh, because apparently that's of dubious or questionable legality in terms of international, because they're destroying a bunch of residences, a bunch of homes. You know, by the way, with Gaza, like you do a, a kilometer wide buffer zone around the entire perimeter, that's like 10% of Gaza's entire land space, I think. It's it's like, you know, Gaza is, I think it's about 140 square miles or something. It, it, it's not big. And uh, so anyway, that, uh, that hasn't helped. I mean, that's how all those Israeli soldiers died. They were going to blow up this residence. And then uh, I guess some Hamas militants attacked and, and more or less accidentally ignited the explosives that were set to blow up the house. Um, right. And we're linking to the Wall Street Journal piece on this. And this is what I meant when I said there's more indications of the White House's unwillingness to use its leverage because the White House has been opposing this idea. You know, the idea of this is not new. I, as I understand it, what's new about this reporting is learning, oh, they've been doing this like actively since November. Um, and when Blinken was asked about it at a press conference, you know, he reiterated America's opposition to the idea of building this buffer zone along the border inside Gaza. But then he said, well, if it's temporary, you know, right. we, can we can tolerate it then. No, I've got the quote from, I think this is from the Wall Street Journal. He said, and this is just coming, just drives me crazy. It is so typical. It's like, yes, we've expressed our outrage and disapproval. And like, well, is anything happening? I mean, we got a lot of leverage. We're supplying all the weapons and ammo and so on and, and casting all the protective votes at the UN and XYZ. And here's, uh, yeah, Blink Blinken's quote is, we've been very clear about our opposition to the forced displacement of people. We've been very clear about maintaining, in effect, the territorial integrity of Gaza. He's talking about the buffer zone. And then uh, next paragraph is, you know, uh, but Blinken indicated Washington might accept a zone temporarily. Right. Like that's going to be temporary. He doesn't believe that. Yeah. He's just lying. He knows I mean, it's not going to be temporary. Once it's there, it's going to stay there. Right. Yeah. And as I understand it, the idea of it is that, you know, it, if Hamas sends fighters, Israel will always have a clear view. So it won't do anything to stop the rockets because it's just like one extra kilometer. Yeah. Um, well, the other, the other thing is, I suspect, I'd have to look at the geography, that along most of this border, uh, you could put the buffer zone on the Israeli side or make it 50-50 without displacing a lot of uh, Israeli buildings. I mean, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe some, some of it is agricultural land. I don't know. But I do know Israel has a lot, lot more... Uh, spare room than than uh, gaza has of course israel thinks look gaza started it they're the ones who should suffer but anyway this is this doesn't help their case about 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 uh uh genocide because in fact and we reported this in a previous issue the head of israel's uh intelligence ministry which isn't the same as being head of the Mossad or anything the ministry is not the agency but it is a cabinet level position and this woman was like basically describing 
and, 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 and this agency previously issued a report after October 7th recommending that they that they send all these people to to Egypt. So this report advocated uh, forced displacement of war crime, basically. And, uh, you know, it didn't it didn't have a, a lot of official weight, but it was a document somebody found and leaked. And uh, and more recently, this this woman who's head of the intelligence ministry uh, in the Knesset was describing like how bad conditions are going to be. She's like after the war, she's like, look, there's not going to be jobs for these people. Half of the agricultural land is going to be consumed by this buffer zone, blah, blah, blah. So she has already put this very thing in the context of Gaza being rendered barely habitable by Israel's military action. And mm -hmm. I just, you know, can't I, I assume South Africa is underscoring things like this in the in the court proceedings. But yeah, it seems like most of their case has relied on public pronouncements from Israeli officials, which, you know, when you read them, they do seem quite genocidal. Israel has countered that those statements were not communicating information about Israel's plans, but kind of expressing anguish about October 7th. Yeah. Um, it's almost like a like philosophy of language kind of uh, defense. Um, and so they're, as I understand it, they're releasing these or making, uh, they're releasing these previously confidential documents to the court um, that show Netanyahu saying things like, we need to, um, you know, respond favorably to America's request for aid to enter into Gaza, mm -hmm, stuff like mm -hmm. that. And I think as far as whether the court will just refuse to even, um, you know, decide the matter of whether Israel is guilty of genocide, as I understand it, you can't just sue anybody at the International Court of Justice, you have to be involved in a dispute with them, or you have to go to that state first and try to get them to change their behavior. And if they don't, then go to the court. And I think Israel is saying South Africa hasn't made a, 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 a real effort to do that. Um, so I don't know how that will impact the court's decision. But I didn't know about that. Uh, but yeah, Israeli officials have said a lot of things they may wish now that they hadn't said. And some were connected to rendering life uh, difficult, like the defense minister saying, we're cutting off whatever the electricity to this. They're all animals. I don't think he can find that to Hamas at the time. There's a number of cabinet level people who have said things um, that maybe they wish they hadn't. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, there's that. Now, th this uh, the AI thing is you know we just had this this primary in new hampshire and and that featured a number of the kinds of things people have been talking about that ai is going to inject into politics for better or worse usually worse i i don't mean the imp net impact will necessarily be bad but the things people have been talking about that showed up this time don't seem to have been very heartening i mean there was a deep fake of biden where mm -hmm. somebody did a robocall, sounded like Biden saying, don't vote, you know, wait, just wait till the general election. The assumption is that was meant to hold down turnout for Biden, which was turnout for a write-in vote because he wasn't on the ballot for complicated reasons. Um, anyway, there was a lot of publicity about that, so I doubt it wound up having much impact. He won. Um, I, I wonder if it helped him because the AI voice presumably sounded a lot more eloquent <laughs> than Biden <laughs> does. 
Um, well, then it's a bad deep fake. It's supposed to sound exactly <laughs> like him. Right. And yet the idea he was like saying on the robocall, um, you know, wait until the general election to vote. You yeah. know, we don't the, the Republicans want to divide the Democrats by having us have this primary. You don't fall for it. Wait until November. It's a good line. Mm. Um, and then. Of course, then one consequence of of what presumably will become a proliferation of deep fakes is that it allows people to deny uh, the reality of real video and audio. And you found this example or you found this post article where there was an example of Trump having done that a few weeks ago. I, I, I didn't uh, I hadn't right. picked up on this. Yeah, it's kind of funny because in 2016, if I read a Washington Post article about how Trump is ushering in a post-truth paradigm and, you know, we have to worry about misinformation and, you know, crack down on misinformation. I would have been very skeptical. I've always been very skeptical of that kind of thing. But in this era of AI, like, I totally believe it. Like, the Washington Post article is about precisely what you just said, how not only are AI-generated, you know, political media appearing, um, but politicians are kind of using this like epistemic confusion about what's real and what's fake in the political arena um, to deny the authenticity of real videos. The The most interesting example was Trump. Apparently Fox News aired this ad from that like never Trumper group, Lincoln Project, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. that showed him, among other things, struggling to pronounce the word anonymous. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's he took to... it's a tough word. Give the guy a break, <laughs> but go ahead. So on his uh, social media, Truth Social, you know, he dismissed the perverts and losers, as he called them, who were using AI to make him look bad. Yeah. And, you know, I noticed on his Truth Social, he'll mention artificial intelligence. He'll say like artificial intelligence, parentheses, AI. Like I get the sense that he wants to kind of inform his fans about AI so that he can use this tactic more going forward yeah but that's kind of speculative don't don't you assume that uh that he will that ai will become one of his boogeymen it's like the coastal elites are trying trying to inflict ai on us and it's gonna he's he's got to come out has he come out as anti-ai he's got him he's got anti-ai written all over him right i don't know i don't know if he has like a articulated policy on it i like what you said like last time it was fake news this time it's deep fake news um that is you know attracting his ire so yeah no he was ahead of his time uh with mm -hmm. the fake news thing because now as the post piece notes you know a number of other politicians in other countries are like saying that's oh, a deep fake it's a deep fake that's not me walking into that hotel room with a prostitute you know right um which was literally another example, like that precise thing. Yeah. It was like a grainy video in some, I think, Asian country. And the politician said, oh, that's not real. That's a deep fake. I mean, what's, it, what's, interesting, what's interesting to me about this is, like, if we don't get a handle on this, it will be impossible eventually to know what's real and what's not when you're looking at something through your screen. And I've said this in the past, and I still think about it every now and then. I think that AI could, if we don't contain it, uh, it could lead to a rise in localism, like people kind of tuning out on social media, like going to the town hall to actually listen mm -hmm. to the politician. Oh, because that's at least real. Yeah. Huh. Now that's interesting. Could it, could it, 
I haven't thought about that. That's not a bad idea. You should lead a movement. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you're in Asheville, North Carolina, right? Yeah, that's there's that's a, a good place, right? culture here. Yeah, yeah, do it. And you're moving closer to downtown, right? Where the hippies are? Are the hippies down at downtown? The hippies are all over. Yeah, the the crystal stores are downtown. The so crystal I'll stores. be closer so that, to those. That's why you're moving closer. Yeah. Well, we're being drawn there. Like By the it crystals. wasn't a con. It wasn't a conscious motivation. The aura right? of the crystals is drawing you there. Exactly. Huh. Um. So. Uh. Yeah. And then the. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think, well, maybe it'll be healthy if everybody just becomes skeptical of everything online, right? Yeah. But of course, that's not the way it'll work. The Trump people will still think whatever he says is true. Mm-hmm. And then and then it'll just give people more reason than ever to dismiss things that aren't that don't support their worldview. That's right. a fake. That's a deep fake. Um, now, there was also this. Uh, this bot, Dean dot bot, uh, this this guy, Dean Phillips, who's challenging uh, Biden. He's a, he's a congressman. He's in Congress from Minnesota. There's a super PAC that tried to set up a bot that, you know, didn't pretend. I mean, it was it was up front that it wasn't really him, but it's like I'm the surrogate of him. You know, I'm I'm the I'm the Dean bot and I will talk as if I were Dean Phillips and I will answer questions about my policies. Go ahead and come. And it was based on uh, OpenAI's GPT. That was the engine for it. Mm-hmm. And then OpenAI said, no, you can't do this. Now, here's the thing I found while looking at, I don't know if you noticed this, but the uh, the the co-founder of the super PAC that developed DeanBot is a former chief of staff of Sam Altman at OpenAI. Did you know that? No, I, I think I focused more on Ackman's involvement than this guy. And then Ackman, mm-hmm. it was his super, he, he's the guy who gave a million dollars to this super PAC. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same super PAC. Yeah, yes. and that that coincided, by the way, with uh, with Dean Phillips erasing the de all the references to DEI on his website. Ackman gave him the million dollars, and the and the diversity, equity, inclusion phrase per se disappeared. I don't think a lot of actual substantive content was deleted. But anyway, that's a tangent. The um. Uh, so yeah, so anyway, it's kind of ironic. Um, and then they said, uh, well, we'll just make it open. We'll use open source AI, but then that got stymied somehow. So I don't know uh, what, what, what strikes me is that, you know, open AI is, you know, we're going to try to keep this stuff out of politics. And, and so here we are banning this kind of thing. Well, this kind of thing isn't the insidious version of it. Right. If somebody wants to set up a bot. I mean, it's actually slightly complicated because a super PAC is supposed to have an arm's length relationship with the candidate. They're not supposed mm-hmm. to consult with the candidate. So it, it may be hard for Dean Phillips to say, yes, I'm officially authorizing this bot if it's done by super PAC. I don't know, even though he would be happy to authorize it. He knew about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, But that wrinkle aside... This is to me, this is not a super insidious thing. If and and you're gonna see it for sure. I mean, it's like you're gonna, you know, tech support, customer service, and questions on a candidate's website. 
mm-hmm. are going to be answered. You know, it's all going to be done by AI. Right. The, the line between the way it's already being done and AI is probably pretty blurry. So that's kind of, this is nothing. I mean, the, the insidious thing is when, um, you know, they deploy a bunch of bots that are like incognito. They, they, you think they're real and regular people, but they're actually just very, either they know, you know, your hot buttons or they know exactly the tricks of persuasion. And I would think this, this could become something that candidates are going to be putting a lot of R and D into is trying to just shift opinion in key states on certain things or suppress turnout. And, and, and again, it's another thing that's going to make people wonder what's real and what's not, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and and then there's the intermediate thing, which apparently Israel is doing, or at least pro-Israel institutions are doing, which I read about and, and will mention, uh, which is the people online are real. They're out there defending, making Israel's case with respect to the Gaza war. But AI is suggesting things for them to say. Right. Um, so, yeah. I, I didn't have a chance to read that piece, but that sounds interesting. So it's kind of like a distribution of talking points, but like really fine-grained ones. Yeah, again, are- it's like, what's the line between that and what was already done? I mean, it may be more nuanced by virtue mm-hmm. of AI. Uh, like, Like, you may have the AI instantaneously going through the feed of the person you're talking to and deciding, well, with this kind of person who has tweeted these 900 things, mm-hmm. what you want to say is this. Right. And with this person, because normally when you run into somebody on Twitter or, or Facebook and you start talking to me, you don't know much about them, but the AI, you know, may do a total diagnosis. Yeah. This is another example of what I mean. People are going to like, unless we figure out a way to solve this problem, people are going to start feeling like they have no idea if the person they're arguing with on Twitter is some bot or someone who is being told what to say by a bot. Mm-hmm. And probably a point will come where you will, will come when you, you just kind of assume that that's the case. I mean, already on Twitter, I don't use it very often. And so I'm always kind of mystified when I get these new followers. Like, what are they reacting to exactly? And when I look at them, they're clearly fake oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah no i've got a thing where there's this one reply somebody made comment somebody made on one of my dialogues it was actually about the jfk assassination the comment is like i haven't seen a guest filibuster this badly since whatever and like people every day somebody will like that i mean it's just totally receded into the into the murkiness of the archives and yet Mm -hmm. And then I realized what happened. Okay, here's what happened. And I'm reluctant to confess this. I know it doesn't reflect favorably on me. <laughs> but so like the, the you know, the early on, somebody uh, liked it. And it said so-and-so liked this reply to you or whatever. And it mm-hmm. shows a little icon of, of the person. Okay, it was a young woman. She wasn't wearing all that much. Okay, fine. I probably would have clicked on it anyway. Who knows? But I clicked I clicked on it and just to, you know, to, to see the profile. Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, well this seems like some kind of bullshit. It's like she she wants to get me, you know, to some porn site or something. So I go back. Mm-hmm. And then like 
you know, a couple of days later happens again. And look, okay, I click. I'm curious. I don't go all the way to the porn site, okay? And then I realize, oh, shit, if I keep clicking, but it was That'll already, the momentum was unstoppable. Every day, a scantily clad woman likes that, likes this thing, I, this tweet I was mentioned in. Oh, funny. Yeah. Weird. So it's like, it's, it's, it's a single entity, presumably, mm -hmm. set up that if you got to clicking on it a couple of times, keep throwing him the bait. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, these are not real women. Right. Yeah, I figured that. Um, and I mean, apparently there's no easy solution to this because it's like every social media site. Elon Musk claims that organic traffic on Twitter is rising. I assume that means, you know, traffic that doesn't count stuff like this. But that's not my impression at all. The, the problem is getting worse. Yeah, Twitter and Twitter feels weird. I, it's like I was talking to somebody else who's has the same feeling that like, what happened to all the people who hate me? Yeah, I'm not getting as much blowback for foreign policy stuff that should give me blowback on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what do you what do you think that is? They're just it's not well, being shown to people be. who I mean, disagree. I've been, I've been tweeting a lot about Gaza, and it could be that. You know, I think there are a lot of people who are kind of pro-Israel, but actually don't feel that great about what's going on in Gaza. Mm -hmm. And it could be that. Um, there are a few vocal people, some of whom I know, pro-Israel, out there, you know, fighting. I, they, they haven't happened to comment on my stuff, but I see them out there. Mm -hmm. But um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, you know, there is definitely certain kinds of people have left twitter there's been a certain amount of desertion so i don't know i did i did notice today i went on twitter just to see what are the the gaza updates and i just like typed israel and everything was so critical of israel um even to the point of being kind of conspiratorial where i was like that's that's like too exaggerated i don't think i saw a single pro israel thing scrolling for a long time huh. and yeah maybe the people well, I don't know. One, the blob is divided on the issue. So you might be used to getting all this blowback for your Russia tweets. And now it's like half of the blob now right. kind of agrees right. with you. Now, the blob was 95% against me on Ukraine and is like, I think there's a lot of division. I mm -hmm. mean, I was listening to this pretty blobbish podcast that has like uh, Corey Shockey from AEI, Neocon Place, although she's relatively moderate as AEI by AEI standards. Mm. Rosa Brooks, um, Ed Luce, David Rockoff, none of them are none of them are happy with right. uh not just what's going on in Gaza, but uh with the Biden administration's failure to exert more leverage. Mm-hmm. Um so and with Russia Ukraine, it became it's like so, like being very supportive of Ukraine was something that people could be proud of, like they're putting the Ukraine flag in their Twitter bio. And and that's not really the case with Israel, Palestine, you know, because maybe because of the generational effect, like younger people are so much more critical of Israel. Well, I don't but know, I don't generational, know. But, but I think even like, again, kind of moderate pros with people, it's like you can't really applaud what's going on in Gaza at this point. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean. 25,000 people out of 2.2 million, that is the equivalent of killing like 4 million Americans. Yeah. I mean, proportionally. Um, so, uh, 
Anyway, what else? Uh... Maybe we can talk about the Stephen Walt thing. Um, you know, yeah, he had yeah. a piece in Foreign Policy in which he was looking at how Trump would be different from Biden on foreign policy. And he basically said they wouldn't be that different. I mean, his, his basic reasoning is like, Biden's not really that different from Trump, so Trump wouldn't be that different from Biden. And he looks at... This was a free preview of Earthling Unplugged. To unlock the rest of this conversation and other exclusive audio content, become an NZN member at nonzero.substack.com.